Good morning. Greetings to each of you in the Master's name this morning. You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25 for the message this morning. I'd like to tell you all this morning, uh, first, of all, a little, first of all, about a little business opportunity. Um, I learned a, about a business management tool that uh, helps identify the mistakes that you're making in your business, take advantage of your strong points, and uh, people using this tool are showing a 15% profit increase with no additional input time. So if you're interested, give me a call next week and we'll talk about it. Now that's a lead into the message this morning. If you got an offer like that, how quickly would you jump on the idea of advancing your business and um, with no additional input time showing better profits? And I think for most of us, we would be pretty quick to, to respond to that. I'd like to shift that a little bit and talk about the church this morning. Talk about us as Christian people. How far do we want to go? As a church, how far do we want to go? How much spiritual strength do we want to have? How much of an impact do we want to make in the community here? I had a wonderful time at Bible school. had a wonderful time preparing and being there and teaching my classes. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the interaction, the new people that I learned to know. And as I left Bible school and as I came home, well, maybe I should back up a little bit and say, I spent a lot of time in the past month and a half in the book of Acts. And uh, part of the reason for that was because I was teaching the Acts class. I was challenged by various things in that. Challenged personally and challenged from a perspective of the church. And we talked about that a little bit in, in Sunday school this morning. But I've had, a, I've had a real burden for the conservative Mennonite church for a lot of years. Because I feel like we're doing a lot of things right. We're doing a lot of good things. But do we have the power that the church had in the book of Acts? Do we want the power that the church in the book of Acts had? And things like that have gone through my mind. And, and why does it seem like we don't have the power that the church in the book of Acts had? What are the things that are, that are keeping us? Are there things that are keeping us from having that kind of power and that kind of impact? They were called the church that turned the world upside down. People that turned the world upside down. 
and we're going to turn the city of Harrisonburg upside down. That's a lot smaller than the world. Matthew chapter 25. This is a this is a familiar passage, a familiar parable, actually. Verses 14 to 30 is what I want to look at this morning. And I want to, I'm just going to look at this briefly. I'm going to read over it and I'm going to make a few comments about this passage. Then I want to expand some things in this passage and make them practical to our lives or attempt to. And I'm going to be painting with a pretty broad brush this morning because I have more notes than I normally do for a sermon. And so I'm going to have to move fairly quickly and I'm not going to be able to spend a lot of time on any one of my points. But I hope it can be fodder to generate your thinking and your consideration of where we should be as churches. Matthew chapter 25 beginning in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise he that received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time the Lord of those servants cometh, and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliveredst delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I had not, have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this parable is not about money. It's about potential. And these men were given something that had value. In verse 14 it says that the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling to a far country. So it's making a comparison. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is compared to this thing. This money. Perceived potential. So we treat the world like a place that has potential. Basically, we, we look at the things that we see 
that are around us and we evaluate those things, we value those things based on the potential that we see they have to give us in the future. So everything, everything that we see around us, everything that we have, we treat it as if it has potential of some kind. And that's one of the things that separates from the, us from the animal kingdom. In other words, a squirrel will go and bury an acorn so that he can come back later and get one acorn. But we bury an acorn to plant an oak tree that will give us thousands of acorns because we know what the potential is in that acorn. And that's how we value that thing. And then, so then we, we have a value system and we set up in our value system the things around us to order them according to that value system. And so we take the things that we have and we use them according to our value system. So everything that you do is based on, and the things that you do is based on the value system that you have, and you use the things you have in accordance with what your values are. But, if our value system isn't ordered according to what is true, then we won't actually be able to realize the potential of the things that we have. So, if we have something that has a lot of potential, but we don't use it properly, according to what is true, then we won't actually be able to reap the benefit of that thing. Whatever it is. So I have two questions for you at this point. And the first one is, have you been given something? You're sitting here in a pew in Mabel Chapel in the city of Harrisonburg this morning. Have you been given anything that got you here? And I would say probably a better way to say it would be, you've been, you've been given everything that got you here. In other words, God placed you in a time, in a family that brought about the opportunity for you to make choices that brought you to this place today. But it had not been for what God gave into your life, you would not be here. So we have all been given something. And in some senses, we've been given more than probably anyone in the history of mankind. Because if you, want to, if you want to talk about the world as it is today, it's probably everybody that lives outside of the country that you live in would like to live in the country that you live in. Just about everybody would like to live in America. Just about everybody in the world would like to live in America. Well, we can go a step further than that and we can say that everybody in the world would probably like to have been raised in a home that gave you the values that your home gave you. And you didn't choose to, you didn't choose to be born there. And I'm not saying that that's particularly across the board. You know, I recognize that there's, there's failings and there's shortcomings in our families. But overall, if you really want to stop and think about what a lot of people experience, in most cases, it's a lot worse than the things we experience, even in the country we live in today. We've been given a lot. 
The second question is, what part does ability play in this, in this whole scheme of things? You know, you made some choices as well that brought you where you are today. And so that's involved. Your, your ability is involved. Well, ability has to do with the amount of accountability that you have to the giver. So, God gave you those things, and in giving you those things, He made you accountable to the giver. The level of ability He gave you is the level to which you are accountable to Him. Now looking at this parable just a little bit, in verses 16 and 17, two servants invested. The servants who received five talents and the servant who received two talents invested their money. Why did they invest it? Well, they invested because they saw potential in that money. They looked at money and they said, this can make more money. So they went out and invested it. How did they invest it? They took what they'd been given. They used what they had been given. And that was the way that they invested their money. And as a result, they experienced receiving the potential that that money had to offer. In verse 18, the third servant did not invest. So what was the problem? He took what the Lord gave him, he hid it, he kept it safe, he put it where it was safe, and he hid it. What was wrong with that? Well, the problem was that he'd been given something of value that had potential, and the only thing that his vision was serious about or cared about was maintenance. All he cared about was maintaining what he had been given. So his vision didn't go beyond that. Verse 19 tells us there will be a day of reckoning of how we have used the things that we have received. Verses 21 and 23 the message to the two servants is identical. So the one man came back to his Lord and he gave him ten talents. The other man went back to his Lord, or the second servant went back to his Lord and he gave him four talents. But the Lord said the exact same thing to both men. So the issue wasn't how much money they made. It was what they had done with what they had been given that was important. So it's not based on, your, your accountability is not based on the amount that you do, but rather what you do with what you have been given. It's not based on comparison. It's not based on what your brother or sister beside you in the pew is doing. It's based on what you are doing with what you have been given. In verses... 24 and 25, the third servant gives account. And he points out that he knew that his master had an expectation in verse 24. He said, I knew that this was the kind of man that you were, and that you had an expectation. And he said, I was afraid. That's the key right there. I was afraid. His potential, the potential that his, what he was given had was paralyzed by fear. And that was an inhibiting factor. And fear 
holds us back from realizing our potential. You see, investment has risk. For that, for that man to gain potential from what he was given, he had to let go. He had to let go of that money to someone else. He had to put it out to the users. He had to invest it in some way by letting it go. But he was afraid to do that because he was afraid he was going to lose it. And that's what fear does. It causes us to cling more tightly to something and, and to try to, 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 to hold it so that we won't lose it. But the problem is then we also keep it from reaching the potential that it has. So my question out of this parable is, are you willing... To overcome, are we willing to overcome our fears and take the risk of investment to reach our potential? So that's what this parable is laying out. And we talked earlier, I mentioned earlier that we've all been given something. Are we willing to do that? So I'd like to take the four points from this parable and consider two areas of our lives. The first point is opportunity is potential. What opportunities have I been given? Number two, investment is a requirement. How am I investing? Number three, comparison between servants does not lead us to truth. With whom am I comparing? Fear paralyzes our potential. Am I afraid? The first area I'd like to look at this morning is spiritual life. God created us with physical and spiritual capacity. And in His original design, the physical capacity that we had was subservient or it obeyed the spiritual. The spiritual was greater than the physical. But when Adam and Eve sinned, that value system got reversed. It got turned around. And man became focused on his physical existence. And so in essence, he became materialistic. His thought process, his mind process was about the material, the physical aspects of life. And in its narrow sense, materialism is the obsession with ownership of material things, material possessions. But in the broader sense, materialism is the obsession with material life or physical life. And so I'm talking about it from that perspective Another word that is used in the New Testament for this is, car is carnal or carnality. And that, the Greek word for that is sarkikos, which comes from the Greek word sarks, which is flesh or meat, like the physical substance of what we're made up of. And most often that word sarks is translated flesh in the New Testament. So when it talks about the battle between the spirit and the flesh, it's talking about the battle between the spiritual and the physical. That whole idea of God creating us with both physical and spiritual capacity. Then the word, the, the word carnal or sarkikos means bodily, temporal, or 
unregenerate, carnal, fleshly. It's talking about the temporal, earthly our temporal earthly existence. So by becoming materialistic, Adam and Eve buried what God had created to bring Him glory and to have value. By becoming materially oriented, we can bury the potential God has given us in His Spirit. And there's a whole lot in that. Because the more I study and think about this idea of materialism and God's created purpose for us, the more I see how this thing of materialism works its way into our thinking process. And I'm not just talking about materialism in the sense of owning things. I'm talking about materialism in the sense of what our perspective is about life. There's an opposition of direction in Romans 8.6. It says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's opposition of the will in Galatians 5.16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And so there's this opposition that's, that's there between the spiritual and the physical. Speaking to the Christian in Romans 8, 12, and 13, Paul says, If ye live according to the flesh, ye shall die. So if the flesh has priority, if the physical has priority, you shall die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if the physical it becomes subservient to the spiritual, you shall live. In John 6, 63, Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profiteth profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The picture that I want you to get from this is that the potential that God has given us is not in the physical. It's in the spiritual. In our spiritual life, God has given us a tremendous potential. Are we utilizing that potential? And then the, the material becomes subservient to that. And so our physical life does have value, but it's value as it is subservient or obedient to the spiritual. So what opportunities have I been given? God has given us His Spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to you that God has given you His Spirit? Maybe, maybe you have some comments about what it means to you that God has given us His Spirit. Thinking about it from a potential standpoint. For many as are led by the Spirit of God, reading from Romans 8, mm -hmm. that right after what you were saying, mm -hmm. says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's what yeah. it means for me, being a son of God. And then it says, For ye have not received the Spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And John 1.12 it says, As many as believed Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. And so, appreciate that. Anything else?
Good. Anybody else? How limited is God? Unlimited. If God gives us His Spirit, how limited are we? Potentially, as much as we limit Him in our lives. But we have to receive it. That's why I said if. Because we can limit God. See, God has given us the capacity to hold Him at arm's length and keep His Spirit from doing its work. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 God wants you as His son, as His child, to do His good pleasure. And He has given you His Spirit to give you the potential to be able to do what He wants you to do, to do His good pleasure, to fulfill His will in this world. That's the kind of spiritual potential we have. How am I investing? Well, to invest, we have to let go. We have to let go of our control. We have to let go of who we are and allow God to be who He wants to be in us. For it is God which worketh in you. With whom am I comparing? Do I consider that I'm not accountable based on what someone else has been given, but, but I'm accountable to God for the opportunity that He has given me. Am I living out my life on the basis of the example of Christ? Is Christ my example? Or am I looking around me and saying, well, I'm doing better than this person, or I'm doing better than that person. Is that what I'm basing the potential of my life on? Am I basing the potential of my life on the person of Jesus Christ and saying that if I reach the point of sacrifice that I should, I'm going to be growing continually into that image, becoming more like Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's the focus of my life. That's the potential that I have is to be more and more like Jesus as a result of God's Spirit working in me Am I afraid? Am I afraid to release everything to God? You see, the call of the Gospel, the call that Jesus made was for a completely surrendered life, a completely given over life. And, that, and, and God calls us to that as the level of investment that we need to be making as individuals. 
Am I afraid of what God's going to ask me if I let everything go? And I can tell you from my own experience that I've been afraid before. But we don't need to be afraid of God. God wants to do what's good for our lives. Is the Anabaptist church in America today burying its spiritual life in materialism and carnality? You know, we, have, we live in a land that is ripe with physical opportunity. And have we allowed over the years that opportunity to blind us to how much and how deeply we've become involved with our physical lives and the way we live out our physical lives? Jesus said, after all these things do the Gentiles seek. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And that all comes back to where, how our value system is lined up. Uh, Gary Miller wrote a book called Keeping Going Till You're Going, and a friend of mine was telling me about it. He, re he uh, read the book, and he said the gist of the book was that we... We grow up and we are maybe on fire for God as, as new Christians and we want to do something for God and, and then we move on up in life and, and we get married and we hit middle age and we've got our business and we've got our family and things are going good and we just kind of go into cruise control. We just kind of sit back and say, well, things are going pretty good, so we must have it right. And we become bench warmers instead of kingdom builders. Are we burying God's talents? Are we burying God's gifts to us? And I want to challenge us this morning that unless we're willing to individually invest beyond our fear in the potential that we see that God is offering us in His Word, we're not going to recognize our potential. And basically, what I'm doing is outlining the greatest commandment. That a love for God should be at the primary value point in our lives. And we're ordering our life and the things that we have around that primary value point. So our value system understands that the spiritual has to be over the physical aspect of life. Area number two. Is church life. What opportunity have I been given? Many of us this morning have a heritage of faith that has been part of our growing up years and part of our experience as people. And the Anabaptist understanding of, of faith is that faith and works are not competitive. That faith and works go together. And as a result of that, we've been able to experience many values that many people in our world have not experienced. Anabaptist people have traditionally believed that Jesus' words were not only true, but they were meant to be lived out in everyday living. 
And we become so accustomed to the values that that has brought into our lives that we forget their significance. Do we forget the significance and the value of that heritage of faith, biblical obedience, a faith that believes in biblical obedience? Do we see that in the church? How am I investing? The church is not the administrative structure. The church is the people. How am I investing in the people who make up this local body? Well, first of all, we have to see the potential. How much potential does this body have? How much potential do the people sitting in these pews have? A tremendous amount of potential. If their spiritual life is nurtured and we collectively come together and grow up into the image of Christ together. Ephesians 4 talks about the church looking like... Uh, let me read it. Ephesians 4.11 For He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, if we're a church here in this city that is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, I believe we're going to turn the heads of the people here in a significant way. You see, what we've received is not just about us. It's about building up the body. It's about edifying the body. And so the spiritual life and the spiritual gifting that God gives us is for the body to build it up. And too often it seems, and, and this is true in my life, too often it seems that it's not what I get to do for the church, it's what I have to do for the church. And I tell my children sometimes that they say, well, I don't want to do that. And I say, well, you don't have to if you want to. They said, good, I want to. I said, great, now you get to. You see, so much is different in our attitude. In our attitude towards something. If we get to, instead of we have to, we're going to approach it differently. Then it becomes an opportunity. Isn't that what we're talking about? We're talking about opportunities. And if I have to do something, it's not an opportunity. But if I get to do something, it's an opportunity. And each one of you has something to bring to this body. And you need to use that opportunity, that gift, to build up this body. With whom am I comparing? Have I not been given what some other brother has been given? That doesn't matter. Jesus said to Peter, when Peter wondered about his fellow disciple, he said, don't you worry about that. You follow me. You walk with me. Like I said earlier in the, about the, the parable, the, the servants weren't judged on the basis of whether one had been given five talents or one had been given two talents. The servants were judged on the basis of what they had been done with what they had been given. And we need to keep that in our mind. It's not about whether someone else can do this better than me. It's about whether I'm doing what God wants me to do 
I believe that comparison and competitive-based viewpoints are a tremendous hindrance in the church. And we must get our focus off of what our brothers are doing as a justification for not doing what we should do. And we must fix our eyes on Jesus and follow Him and walk with Him. Am I afraid? Am I afraid this morning that what my sermon isn't good enough for y'all? And so I don't preach it. Then who's built up? Who's edified? Who's encouraged? If my fear paralyzes what God has asked me to do. Is our fear keeping us from doing things that we ought to be doing for the body of Christ? What is the antidote to fear? John 4.18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You see, love is the antidote to fear. And when we recognize and we know that everybody in this church loves me, then if what I have to share with you is not exactly the best, or maybe even wrong, and you need to correct me. I'm going to know that at the end of the day, you're still going to love me. And so I'm not afraid to share with you because I know you're going to continue to love me. Even if what I have to say to you is difficult, because I love you, I'm going to say it. And I'm going to know that you're going to continue to love me afterwards. And so love casts out fear. We love Him because He first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from Him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Are we burying the potential of our churches that our churches have in individualism? And the idea that it's all about me. And it's all about my spiritual growth. And that church is just about me. And what I get out of it. Or does it go deeper than that? You see, materialism and individualism have the same root. And it's self-sufficiency. When we become self-sufficient, we not only don't need God, but we don't need our brother either. And I believe that those two things are huge battles that we're facing. Materialism and individualism. In, in broader senses than just the ownership of things, even though that's involved. I'd like to bring those two things together. Spiritual life and church life are really interconnected. As one goes, so goes the other. And the Great Commission contains a twofold responsibility to make disciples and to disciple those disciples to follow the commands of Christ. And this isn't a formalistic kind of obedience. This is the kind of obedience that, that Paul talks about 
in Galatians 4.19 when he says, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. And so until that spiritual life is, is vibrant and operating in your life in a way that it forms the person of Christ in you, And I believe that the future of the conservative Mennonite church is depending on people experiencing God in a life-changing way. That changes the way you live. And not only changes the way you live, but changes the way that you think about your brothers and sisters. And that your desire out of that change, your desire is that you would help other people to experience God in the way that you did. And to do that, the only way to do that is to have the Spirit of God working in our hearts, working in our lives. You see, God doesn't have any grandchildren. And what I've been given is not just for me. It's to build up those around me until we all come into that powerful picture that Paul's talking about in Ephesians. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So are you taking the attitude of investing into the church? Willingly, joyfully, enthusiastically investing yourself into the life of your local body? Do you see the potential that it could have? Could God turn us into a Book of Acts church? Maybe God wants to do things beyond what they did in the book of Acts. He's not limited to just what happened in the book of Acts. How big of things could God do? An investment really isn't an option anyway. If we want to keep what we have, we're going to have to invest. So I told you that business, about that business opportunity, and that was just a story or uh, something to lead into to this because I was just, just making all that up. But, you know, we studied uh, Ananias and Sapphira some months ago, and I taught the youth class that Sunday. And a, a thought that hit me was, you know, if I, if I have something in my life that needs to change, do I want to know about it? And so I asked the class that. And we were all kind of like, well, that might hurt. Yeah, it might hurt. But you see, the things in my life that aren't like they should be are keeping me from realizing my potential. So do I want to know about those things? Do we want to know how we should do church differently? Do we want to know how we should order our lives differently? to have more of what God wants us to have. Maybe we're not so quick to jump on that opportunity. If it means it's going to hurt or going to cost us something in a physical way. Maybe our pocketbook. What if the, t the first two servants had gone to the third servant 
and said, you know, brother, we're concerned about what you're doing. We're concerned about that you're burying this talent. We really see in the word of the Master, we really see the expectation that we would receive, that he would be able to receive money back from what he's given you. And that other servant would have listened and would have invested his money. Would he not have received the same response that the other two did had he invested? Well, that requires two things. One, it requires humility on the part of the third servant to listen to the other two. But the other thing is that it requires those two servants, or it means that those two servants need to go and talk to their brother because they have a concern. And you know, we don't know what the relationship was. Maybe they didn't have any idea about this, so we're not, I'm not, I'm not judging the first two servants in that sense. But we have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters to be open, to be vulnerable, and to be real with each other about our lives and about where we're going as a church. But God forbid that we become like the third servant. And our vision goes no further than just for my lifetime maintaining enough of the values that I've been given to just get me to, to the end of my life and, and, and then that's good enough. Or just hold the line where I'm at right now. And in the end, God looks at me and says, you're an unprofitable servant. Because you knew I had an expectation and you didn't fulfill it. God doesn't squander His gifts. And if we don't invest, we will lose even what we're given. And that's one of the things that has really bothered me about the conservative Mennonite church. We have lost so many people. So many people. Why? Do we have the potential to not only maintain and draw in the people or keep the people who are part of our fellowships and the young people that grow up in our communities, but do we have the potential to not only keep them, but also reach the thousands around us who don't know Christ and never heard the Word of God? I believe that the Spirit of God gives us the potential to do that. The question is, what are we going to do? Are we going to invest? Let's make investments that last for eternity. May the Lord bless you.